This program is presented by Birch Gold Group, the precious metal IRA specialists. Good morning. Our top stories. A tornado sweeps through the Houston, Texas area, causing damage to buildings, trees, and vehicles. Yesterday's storm disrupted power lines and operations at at least two facilities. We have footage showing the extent of the damage. Twenty states and a conservative legal group are pushing back against the Biden administration's migrant parole program. We look into the lawsuit that calls it an unlawful abuse of parole authority. Germany and the U.S. are gearing up to send tanks to Ukraine. Meanwhile, an anti-corruption sweep in the war-torn country sees governors from multiple regions resigning or being fired. The Department of Justice is suing Google. The antitrust lawsuit alleges Google's conduct weakens competition in digital advertising. A new form of AI can write research papers in minutes with the use of a few simple prompts. Find out what a student did to keep the new tech in check. Good morning. Welcome to NTD. I'm Kevin Hogan. A tornado ripped through the Houston area of Texas yesterday, causing damage to buildings, trees, and disrupting power lines. The nearby city of Deer Park is home to a chemical plant and an oil refinery. Operations were disrupted. Video footage shows the extent of the damage. Here's NTD's Cost Temines. A twister first touchdown in Pasadena, Texas. Down power lines, collapsed roofs and debris covered the streets and lawns in a city of 150,000 people, southeast of Houston. The storm ripped off the roof of a nearby church. It then moved east toward Beaumont, Texas. Video footage shows blown-out windows and debris across a parking lot. Cars were mangled when the tornado swept through. Another church was damaged in Deer Park. Footage taken on a freeway between Fairmont Parkway and Pasadena Boulevard shows a semi-truck turned over on its side. The large and extremely dangerous tornado was reported on the ground near Pinehurst in East Texas just after 4.30 p.m. local time. According to the National Weather Service, it was moving northeast at 40 miles per hour. Tuesday's tornado affected operations in at least one chemical plant and an oil refinery. Shell Oil Company tweeted it was experiencing an incident at its Deer Park Chemicals facility, while Pemex also reported operational upsets at its neighboring oil refinery. Oil company ExxonMobil said operations at its Baytown, Texas plant were stable, with no injuries reported. Operations continued as normal at Total Energy's Port Arthur refinery, although non-essential personnel were released from its site. Cost MNS, NTD News. Texas is leading the charge with 19 other states against the Biden administration's new migrant parole program. The Republican states, along with the America First legal group, are suing the administration. They say the program that allows up to 30,000 migrants into the U.S. every month is unlawful. NTD's Jeremy Sandberg has more on the lawsuit. The coalition of states is looking to block the parole program. They say it effectively creates a new visa program without going through the formalities in Congress. 
The lawsuit points out the Department of Homeland Security's parole power is exceptionally limited and can only be used on a case-by-case basis. That basis being under urgent humanitarian reasons or significant public benefit. Plaintiffs complained it's an abuse of parole authority to allow up to 360,000 aliens to enter in a year. The program allows tens of thousands of migrants to enter the U.S. from Haiti, Nicaragua, Cuba, and Venezuela each month. Applicants need to pass a background check, have a sponsor in the U.S., and enter by flying into the country. It puts them on two years of parole and lets them get work permits. President of the America First Legal Group Stephen Miller says the program lacks legal basis and gives illegal aliens pre-amnesty. The Biden administration says it thinks the new measure has lowered the amount of illegal crossings at the southern border from migrants from the designated countries. They admitted that overall encounters are up, but say that's because smugglers are spreading misinformation about the end of Title 42. The administration currently has two legal challenges before the Supreme Court, one regarding Title 42 and the other on interior immigration enforcement. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy has long vowed to keep two prominent Democrats from serving on the House Intelligence Committee. McCarthy said Representatives Adam Schiff and Eric Swalwell would not be allowed on the panel if he won the gavel. Many were wondering if McCarthy would follow through on that promise after Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries nominated them on Saturday. McCarthy made the rejection official yesterday. Entity's Jeremy Sandberg has more on McCarthy's response. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy says keeping Representatives Schiff and Swalwell off the Intelligence Committee is not a partisan issue. He calls it a matter of integrity in his response that went viral on Tuesday. What Adam Schiff did, use his power as a chairman and lie to the American public. Even the inspector general said it. When Devin Nunes put out a memo, he said it was false. When we had a laptop, He used it before an election to be politics and say that it was false and said it was the Russians. When he knew different, when he knew the intel. The new House Speaker posted his rejection letter to Jeffries on Twitter. He emphasized his commitment of returning the committee to one of genuine honesty and credibility. He added that years of service are not the sole criteria to serve in such an essential role. When a whistleblower came forward, he said he, he did not know the individual, even though his staff had met with him and set it up. So no, he does not have a right to sit on that. Schiff vehemently denies knowing or ever meeting the whistleblower. McCarthy says Schiff will be allowed to serve on other committees. But he will not serve on intel because it goes to the national security of America. And I will always put them first, all right? And if you want to talk about Swalwell, let's talk about Swalwell because you have not had the briefing that I had. McCarthy went on to say that he and former House Speaker Nancy Pelosi were briefed by the FBI on Swalwell's ties to a Chinese spy but not until Swalwell was appointed to the Intel Committee. So it wasn't just us who were concerned about it. The FBI was concerned about putting a member of Congress on the Intel Committee that has the rights to see things that others don't because of his knowledge and relationship with a Chinese spy. They brought it to the works of the leaders. I've got that briefing. So I do not believe he should sit on there, that committee. And I believe there's 200 other Democrats that can serve on that committee. McCarthy finished by saying he will respect voters and allow them to serve on other committees, but not where there are issues of national security. Swalwell called the move an act of political vengeance in response. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. 
The United States and Germany are set to deliver heavy tanks to Ukraine. The step is intended to boost Ukraine's war effort. Russia condemned the move as a blatant provocation. NTD's Daniel Monahan has more on this developing story. Washington is expected to announce this week that it will be sending M1 Abrams tanks to the war-torn country. The M1 uh, is a complex weapon system uh, that is challenging to maintain. And Berlin has decided to dispatch Leopard 2 tanks. Germany's decision whether or not to send Leopards is a sovereign decision and we respect that. Officials in Kyiv hailed what they see as a possible game changer in the nearly year-old conflict. Even if the rumored tank numbers in the dozens would be short of the hundreds they say they need. A lot of efforts, words, promises. But it's important not to lose sight of reality. It is not about five or ten or fifteen tanks. The need is larger. Zelensky pressed Western allies to provide cutting-edge battle tanks in his nightly video address. Russia is preparing for a new wave of aggression with the forces it's able to mobilize. Now the occupiers are putting pressure on Bakhmut, Vukhledar and other theaters. Meanwhile, NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg discussed the importance of tanks at a press conference. Battle tanks are, of course, important, both to be able to repel Russian new offensives, but also for Ukraine to be able to retake territory. Germany and the United States have until now held back on providing heavy armor, wary of support that could give the Kremlin reason to expand the conflict. Russia has warned that supplies of modern offensive weaponry to Ukraine would escalate the war. Front lines stretching over 620 miles through eastern and southern Ukraine have been largely frozen for two months despite heavy losses on both sides. But both Russia and Ukraine are believed to be planning new offensives. The expected tank deliveries come as Ukraine dismissed several senior officials as part of an anti-corruption drive. Of course there is corruption in Ukraine, and there is corruption in many countries, and in Ukraine it's still an issue. Governors of several regions, including Kyiv and Kherson, have either resigned or were dismissed. Some had been linked to corruption allegations. Ukraine has a history of graft and shaky governance. Pressures are mounting to show it can be a reliable steward of billions of dollars in Western aid. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. The Department of Justice filed a lawsuit against Google on Tuesday. It's accusing the tech giant of abusing its dominance in digital advertising to squash competition. For 15 years, Google has pursued a course of anti-competitive conduct that has allowed it to halt the rise of rival technologies, manipulate auction mechanics to insulate itself from competition, and force advertisers and publishers to use its tools. In so doing, Google has engaged in exclusionary conduct to severely weaken, if not destroy, competition in the ad tech industry. Google responded by saying the government was doubling down on a flawed argument that would make it harder for small businesses and publishers to grow. This lawsuit is the second federal antitrust complaint filed against Google. The DOJ's first lawsuit was filed in 2020. It accuses the company of monopolizing Internet search. That suit is scheduled to go to trial in September. According to insider intelligence, Google remains the leader in digital ads by a long shot. However, its share of U.S. digital ad revenue fell to 29% in 2022 from 37% in 2016. Eight states joined the DOJ in this lawsuit, including Google's home state of California. 
And coming up, we speak to the developer of GPT-0. The app can detect if a piece of writing was created by a human or a computer. So stay tuned for more after the break. Welcome back. A new AI tool called ChatGPT is raising concerns from teachers around the world. It can write research papers and answer almost any question in seconds. All you have to do is enter a few keywords into a prompt. Many schools are banning the app. A college student familiar with the ChatGPT software decided to actively enter the AI conversation after learning what it was capable of. He's now developed his own app that can potentially keep it in check. Entity's Jeremy Sandberg has more from the developer of the app. Edward Tian is a student at Princeton University studying computer science and journalism. His app is called GPT-0. I had a bunch of free time on my hands over the holidays, so I thought I would build this out so the world could use it. Although Tian feels the GPT chatbot is an incredible and brilliant innovation, he felt it could use a check and balance. It's like opening a Pandora's box where once we do, there's a lot of potential for misuse. GPT-0 runs through text and checks for variables, specifically perplexity and burstiness, or a mix of short versus long sentences. It then gives it a score to determine how likely it was written by a computer. Humans deserve to know the truth. No one wants to be deceived whether something they're reading online is misrepresented as human-written or machine-written. So everyone really deserves a tool like GPT-0. Tian released the app on January 2nd. When he woke up the next day, he had a surprise waiting for him. And it completely blew up and went viral. And over 300,000 people have tried using it uh, online now, uh, which is incredible. The young developer says he doesn't want people using the early version to make academic decisions, even though early testing has shown an accuracy rate of 98%. He's now working on a professional version for teachers. Now we have more than 23K uh, educators signed up for this waitlist from over 40 states and 30 countries. So it's pretty exciting. Tian thinks blanket bans on AI tech like ChatGPT won't work. He suggests a different approach. These bans don't help anybody because students uh, that you know have the resources are still going to get away with using ChatGPT. And also this technology is here to say it is the future. So instead of ignoring this future, we shouldn't be entering the future blindly and we should be adopting these technologies more responsibly. Another concern of his is the possibility of programs like ChatGPT becoming paid services. If there is no reliable detection for AI writing, it could put lower income students at a disadvantage. It's not to stop this technology from being adopted. Instead, it's this technology needs to be adopted responsibly. And to do that, we need to be able to see where and when it is being used. The computer science major says his future goal is to work at the intersection of technology and journalism. It might be more of the journalism student speaking, but I think it's important to preserve aspects of human writing as well and human originality. And writing will remain an important skill for years to come because these large language models aren't writing anything unique. They're not coming up with any orig anything original. They're taking huge portions of the internet and then repatterning them. Uh, so I think writing will remain a really important skill. Currently, the app has only been tested on English. Future versions are planned to include many languages as teachers and school boards around the world have expressed their interest. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News.
Tesla has announced new investment in its Nevada manufacturing complex. The company said yesterday it would invest more than $3.5 billion to expand the complex with two new factories. It will include the first facility to mass-produce its long-delayed electric semi-truck, which was meant to go into production in 2019. It marks the company's first step into the trucking business. The second factory is aimed at making new battery cells. It will have the capacity to make enough batteries for an annual 2 million light-duty vehicles. Together, the plants will employ about 3,000 people. Currently, the existing complex makes lithium-ion batteries, vehicle parts, and other products. Amazon is expanding its push into healthcare with a $5 per month unlimited generic prescription drug delivery service. The plan is called RxPass. It includes 60 generic prescription drugs that treat various common conditions like allergies, inflammation, and high blood pressure. Amazon announced its plan yesterday. It will be launched immediately in most states, except for states with specific prescription delivery requirements like California, Texas, and Minnesota. Also, it's not available for customers enrolled in Medicare, Medicaid, or any other government health care program. The plan is available exclusively to Prime subscribers, regardless of their insurance status. And in other news, the Colombian Navy has seized over four tons of cocaine hydrochloride. Authorities discovered the illicit cargo after intercepting a semi-submersible on Monday. Drone footage shows the ship being dragged and taken to a dock. According to police, the operation took 11 million doses off the market. The operation was a joint effort of the Colombian Navy, Coast Guard units, Navy Aviation, and Foreign Aid. Four members of the crew were detained. An investigation into the alleged offense of trafficking, manufacturing, and transporting narcotics is now underway. This year alone, the Colombian Navy has seized nearly 10 tons of cocaine hydrochloride. Satellite imagery shows that an iceberg almost the size of Greater London has broken off the Brunt Ice Shelf in Antarctica. The British Antarctic Survey says the occurrence happened on Sunday during a spring tide. The enormous chunk broke off following years of naturally occurring cracks. The cracks finally extended across the shelf, causing the new iceberg to break free. This is the second major iceberg breakoff from the shelf within the last two years. In February 2021, a slightly smaller iceberg broke from the Brunt Ice Shelf and drifted into the sea. Researchers first detected vast cracks developing in the area a decade ago. Since 2017, staff have been stationed on the ice shelf during Antarctic summers. They are monitoring the behavior of the ice shelf. Rescuers in Michigan surprised a deer in need of help. The animal was reportedly walking around with its head stuck in a Halloween bucket. Take a look at the rescue. Surveillance footage shows the young deer named Lucky being lured to a net with a pumpkin-shaped candy bucket on its head. Within three minutes, local rescuers managed to capture Lucky. They removed the bucket and untangled the animal before releasing it into the wild. Local media reported that Lucky had been roaming the area with the bucket stuck on its head for the past two weeks before he was caught by rescuers. And up next, a tsunami of emotional grief turned into service for others. A cancer survivor who launched a support network for those battling the same disease. Stay with us to hear her story.
Good to have you back with us. Now we hear the story of a woman who was able to channel her energy into helping others after hearing the dreadful news of being diagnosed with breast cancer. She says that she turned to a variety of resources in the aftermath, but none were as effective as the emotional support she got from her breast cancer community. She shares with us her story and the support network she launched. Joining me now is Marianne Sarsich, who is a breast cancer survivor and national advocate. It's a pleasure to have you share your story with us today, Marianne. Uh, thank you so much for having me. Can you tell us how you were able to overcome the trauma you faced after you were diagnosed with stage one breast cancer in 2016 in the aftermath? Well, quite honestly, I am still working on that. That is a work in progress. I um, didn't discover the amount of anxiety I had in me because of the diagnosis until my oncologist told me, hey, you are no evidence of disease. And when those words hit me is when the tsunami of the emotional piece of the diagnosis began to emerge consciously. I'm sure it was always there, but that's when it really hit me. Um, and that's when I started searching frantically for every possible support I could find that existed to help me deal with the emotional aftermath. That is just such a relief to hear those words from the doctor, although, of course, it doesn't mean that, you know, there's no risk still. I mean, just for example, according to, breast, according to cancer.org, breast cancer is the most common kind of cancer in women in the U.S. outside of skin cancer. So this type of support is so important. Can you please explain why you launched your own breast cancer peer support group at the end of 2017? Absolutely. So, as I said, I went through every single resource I could get my hands on that existed. Um, and to help with that emotional piece, which was just tearing me apart and it can be toxic. So I did things that I had never believed in before. I did Reiki, I did acupuncture, I did um, weekly support groups, art therapy. I had already been a long time user of yoga and um, Pilates, so I dug deep into that, but I started using mindfulness, meditation, and what I discovered through my desperation is those things worked to a degree, but not enough. And what I really needed was to be with what I call my tribe, the breast cancer community, in person when I needed them. And not always to discuss breast cancer, but just to be surrounded by people who get it. So when I say, oh my gosh, I am so tired, instead of my family saying, oh, you always say that, my tribe would say to me, I know, I get it. And I don't have to say anything else. And so that was the reason I started my peer support group so that I could just post on Facebook, who can do coffee with me? Who can do lunch with me? And people would be able to respond and meet up with me in person. And maybe all I needed was silent company and the same with them. Marianne, this emotional support is just so invaluable, especially after the fact. And in 2022, over a quarter million women in the U.S. were expected to be diagnosed with breast cancer. And although rare, even thousands of men were expected to suffer from the disease. That says, how extensive is your support group and what results have you seen? Well, what I am seeing are these gorgeous connections. You could find what you need by simply saying, hey, you know, my name is and I live here, and this is my diagnosis. I had stage three triple negative breast cancer. I'm treated at Fox Chase, and I'm scared, and this is the treatment they're recommending. And once you post that in my group, you will suddenly get all these comments. Oh, that's my doctor. Oh, that's my treatment. Here's what helped me. 
hey, would you like to meet up? Hey, I'm here for you. So suddenly you're finding people right in your area who have been there or are going through it right now. And that kind of connection is priceless, especially when you can get it on a Sunday night at 11 p.m. when technical resources are not available offered through cancer centers or even incredible organizations like the Cancer Support Community Center, which is a national nonprofit with chapters across the country. And Marianne, speaking of breast health, what is the best way for people to reduce one's risk of breast cancer? The, the best way for anyone, gender, any age, is to stay on top of your breast health. And, and I always say you're never too young to know what your risk is. And the best way to do that is have a conversation with your primary care. What is my breast cancer risk? So that would involve them talking about your family history, right? Talking about your personal lifestyle choices, you know, your weight, you know, even things like when, for women, when did you start your menstruation? How old were you? That, that changes your risk. And don't be afraid to make a call, make an appointment and say, I'm not sure, could be something, could be nothing, but could you help me figure this out? Because you don't know what you don't know. And it could be a form of breast cancer, or it could be a cyst that is harmless or it could be nothing at all that clears up even before you get to your appointment but wouldn't it be better to be safe yes being safe is always better it's so great to hear your story and to have these resources marianne sarsich who is a breast cancer survivor and national advocate it is so great to have you on the show today uh, thank you so much that's all for today's program write us an email if you like at goodmorning at ntd.com thanks for watching i'm kevin hogan